0: Whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. Whoever touches the body of any dead person shall be unclean for seven days. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for yourself, for your roof, that you shall not bring the blood on your, upon your house if anyone should fall from it. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. But if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today. Then all these curses shall overtake you. Oh, and of course, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Welcome, friends, to the old covenant. Confusing, compulsory, and condemning. That was what the children of Israel faced. They had a contract with God, a deal, uh, a covenant. If they kept it, they were promised blessings beyond their wildest dreams. If they didn't, they were promised certain destruction. This was the deal that Israel had virtually from day one of his existence as a nation. You see that at the beginning of verse 9. He is the one who brought them out of Israel. It is the God who made the covenant through Moses with the children of Israel in the wilderness. The content of which we mostly get in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers. That's where all those quotes were from. That's where the original readers were from as well. That's what they'd grown up with this was the matrix the framework of their relationship with god it was the life they were also tempted back into all the way through the letter the author of hebrews point is this what jesus brings is so much better than what you had why would you dream of going back why would you go back when what jesus has brought you is far greater now i've said in previous weeks that we're not tempted back into first century judaism but we can be tempted back into what it represented The Bible mixed with a sort of worksy religion. And as we see the old covenant, think about how much that's like the Christianity that we're tempted to produce. So we've got three headings this morning. The first is the old is broken. His point, you don't replace something faultless. Have a look at verse seven. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. You see, you don't change something that isn't broken. So think of something important like uh, an organ in your body. You wouldn't have a heart transplant unless that organ actually needed replacing. It would be stupid, wouldn't it, to replace something that was working well. Well, God promised to replace the old covenant. Why would he do that if there was nothing wrong with it? God isn't Apple trying to sell you more product, or God isn't some dodgy mechanic telling you, you know, you need to get a whole new one. The whole reason, the only reason, God would promise a new covenant as if there was something wrong with the old one. So you might be thinking, why would God make a covenant that was flawed? Well, the answer is, he didn't. The fault is with the people. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. For he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. You expect it to say it he finds fault with it as in the covenant. But he doesn't. He says it finds fault with them. Them is the people. The problem was not with the makeup of the old covenant. The content was not the problem. God did not make a mistake with the makeup of the covenant. The problem was with the recipients. It's like the opposite of all those breakups that you have when, you know, people say, oh, it's, it's not you, it's me. Well, God here is saying, it's not me, it's you. They've actually broken the covenant. If the covenant had been given to a people who could keep the law, it would not have been a problem. The problem was that the people could not and would not keep it. Did God know that they couldn't keep it? Yes, he did. Does that mean he made it too hard? No, it doesn't. The standard is the standard. God's standard is God's standard. If a three year old can't pass GCSEs, it doesn't mean that GCSEs are too hard. It shows that the three year olds cannot pass GCSEs. The standard is too high. If a 16 year old can't pass GCSEs, they can't blame the exam. That is the level that a GCSE is at. The problem is with them, and the same is true here. So why would you go back to a system that you cannot pass? Why would you go back to a system that simply served to expose your failings? If they were saved in the Old Testament, it was outside of the system. Uh, it, it was the, the system th- caused you to throw yourself on the mercy of God. But the problem is that it led so many to trust in themselves instead of trusting in God. When it was forced, when it was in fact it was supposed to drive them to the need for forgiveness. What God desired in the Old Testament was a broken and contrite heart, not some blasé burnt offerings. People in the Old Testament did understand this. But the system itself merely pointed them to the fact that the system was not enough when it involved broken, sinful people. With them, they simply broke the covenant. The covenant was broken. The second thing we see about the Old Covenant is that the Old is obsolete. Have a look at verse 13. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The presence of the new makes the old obsolete. It's a bit like something called a retronym. Caroline and I were watching Only Connect a few weeks ago and had a round about this. I'd never heard of them before, but it's something that gets its name after it's uh, been around. So, for example, a black and white TV... When it was first out, it just used to be called a TV, but we've called it that retrospectively. Or Elizabeth I. When she was around, she'd just be known as Elizabeth. Or snail mail. We used to just call it post or mail, but now that there's email, we need a name for uh, that as well. As soon as a new one is mentioned, the existing one becomes the old one. Um, And if it's old, then it means that necessarily the next one is on its way, and that one's days are numbered think about Prime Ministers. As soon as Tony Blair a few years ago, or quite a few years ago, said that he was leaving, then everybody started to look for who his successor was going to be. Uh, He became a lame duck Prime Minister. From Jeremiah's day, when the New Covenant is first mentioned, the Old Covenant has become a lame duck covenant. It's on the way out. Which is part of his next point. Obsolete things don't hang around. In 1976, VHS was invented. They ruled the roost for nearly 20 years. In 1995, DVDs were first sold, and by 2003, they were outselling VHS. I mean, who buys VHS now? If you go to the 20p shop in Otley, you can buy a stack of them. But the reason there's a stack of them is that nobody's buying them. Who would invest in VHS now? A VHS company, or even a VHS player? No one. It's not got a future. And the same is true with the Old Covenant. Who would go back to the Old Covenant? Who would invest their lives on its terms? No one. If it's on the way out, then there's no point. And the first hearers needed to hear this. Why go back to something that has been superseded by a better covenant? And boy, is the new one better. In fact, the new is awesome. Have a look at verses 10 to 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other one is, each one his neighbour, and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. What makes the new so awesome? Two words. I will. You see it throughout these verses. I will, I will, I will. I will do this. I will make you my people. I will forgive your sin. If the problem with the last one was that the people could not keep the covenant, well here is one that does not depend on the people. This covenant depends entirely on God's promises. And if it depends on God's promises, then this one cannot be broken. So the old one had promises as well, but it's the difference between Uh, a parent saying to a child, I promise if you pass your exams, I'll take you on holiday. That was the old. But the new one says, I promise when your exams are over, I'll take you on holiday. Both are promises, but the first is conditional, and so can be broken by the recipient. It depends on them passing their exams. The second promise is unconditional, so it can only be broken by the maker of the promise. But in our case, the promises are made by God. And there's more chance of the stars falling out of the sky than God breaking his promise. God cannot lie. That is the basis of our confidence. Otherwise, we would not dare to believe what God has said has for us in this new covenant. So what is the content of the new covenant? Well, the first thing is that the law will be a heart thing. Law will be a heart thing. The old covenant could tell you what to do, but it couldn't make you want to do it. It could show you the right thing, but it couldn't make you want it. The law being written on our hearts and minds is a desire thing. It's not a memory thing, as though we can supernaturally remember all the laws in the Bible. It's not even a conscience thing, automatically knowing what's right because our consciences are still broken. It's a desire thing. It's actually wanting to please God. And it's an ability thing. It's actually being able to please God. It doesn't enable us to keep the law perfectly, but it does enable us to want to. Which law? Uh, Is it all the stuff that we were reading at the beginning? Well, we'll come to that a bit later on. But whatever it is referring to is our way to please God, something that the new covenant makes possible. The second thing that we see is that knowing God will be a universal thing. Under the old covenant, you were in by virtue of your birth, and some knew God, some didn't. So 1 Samuel 2 verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men, they did not know the Lord. But everybody under the new covenant will know God. You see, Eli's sons were even priests and they didn't, but everybody under the new covenant will know God. In fact, you cannot be under the new covenant if you don't know God. That's why there'll be no teaching each other, this is how you know God, because if you're in, you already know how to know God. Knowing God isn't about knowing about God, but knowing him personally. And all people in the new covenant know God personally. Everyone, great and small, old and young. He will be our God, we will be his people. It speaks of a right relationship with God. If you remember in Hosea, he said, I will not be your God and you will not be my people. But this is the opposite way around, isn't it? This is a close, loving relationship. And then the final thing that we see that makes the new covenant so awesome is that mercy will be a given thing. God offers mercy. We can forget how massive this is. The old covenant didn't really do mercy. You could be given of, of, forgiven of some things, unintentional sins, but you couldn't be forgiven under the system for intentional sins. All the old could promise you was judgment. But the new offers forgiveness. God will remember our sins no more. No, it's not forget, as though we might remember in the future. I mean, I forget things, forget someone's name, and then it comes back to me at two o'clock in the morning. But that won't happen with God. He has chosen to forget our sins. And just like we struggle to remember and God doesn't, we struggle to not remember when people have done things against us. But God doesn't. If he says he won't, he won't. And it means that God will not hold our sin against us. He doesn't hold grudges with us. He doesn't punish us for our sin. He's let go of our sins against him in a way that we struggle to do when others do that against us. How can he do this? Well, the cross, the sacrifice Jesus made as our great high priest. The cross means God can offer mercy and forgiveness. So this is not some bare legal document. This is the fruit of the cross of Christ. This is the new covenant in his blood. We cannot separate all the blessings of the new covenant from the cross. Because Christ won those blessings on the cross. Well, so what? Well, a few things for us to take away. The first is that we we can please God. We can please God. There's a school of thought that says that all our righteousnesses are filthy rags. And that is there in the Bible, isn't it? And it's true when we do them without faith. That's true when we do them with our hands and not with our hearts. But under the new covenant, we have the law in our hearts. We can do things that please God. God can look at our actions and be pleased. He can say on the last day, well done, good and faithful servant. The way that we please God is we do what we do with faith in Christ. Hebrews tells us later on, without faith it is impossible to please God. And we miss the implication the other way round that with faith it is possible to please him. God is not constantly looking down from heaven with a frown on his face. He can be pleased with what we are doing. But we cannot please God to save us. It's not as though we earn uh, his pleasure. We can only please God when we're saved. So that's the first thing that we can take away. The second thing is that we can know God. If we're under the new covenant, we know God personally. If we don't know God personally, then we're not under the new covenant. If you're here and you don't have a real living relationship with God, you're still under the old. God is your taskmaster, not your father. You can know God as your Father through Jesus. Speak to me afterwards if you want to know how. We have also the third thing forgiveness of our sins. We forget the joy of this. Imagine living under the old covenant one intentional sin and that's it, you're a goner. No chance of forgiveness under the legal system, no chance of redemption. In terms of the covenant itself, your life with God is over. Of course, people were forgiven under the old covenant but only by throwing themselves on the mercy of God, something that functioned outside the terms of the old covenant. But here that forgiveness is built into the system. In other words, forgiveness is the norm. God willingly bestows it upon us. Remember that next time you sin. God can and will forgive you. That's not a reason to sin, but it is a reason not to despair. We have forgiveness of sin. Fourthly, We cannot mess up this covenant. This covenant depends entirely on God's promises. We cannot break it. You cannot break it. We just stand on his promises. His covenant is sure and unbreakable. What a relief. If it depended on me, it would last about 10 seconds at best. But because it depends on God, it is everlasting and unbreakable. How much better than the old, which was broken so often. And lastly, we are not under the Old Testament law. Those verses we read at the beginning were not written to us. They were written for us. They are not binding upon us in and of themselves. Does that mean that they're irrelevant? Not at all. I mean, why would we study them? Why would we have gone through home groups looking at Exodus last year? No, they're not irrelevant, but they find their relevance through Christ. We look at the old through the eyes of the new. We see there what it means to please God. But everything we read, we read through Christ and his gospel. That is what the New Testament calls the law of Christ. It does not mean that we're left without laws or without moral standards. What it does mean is that we can make sense of those passages in Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy and Numbers and actually apply them to our lives. We don't remove chunks, not an iota, not a dot will pass away. And some will look remarkably similar, some different. So for example, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. That looks pretty similar under the new covenant. But even that, who is our Lord? Isn't it our triune God, three in one, Father, Son and Spirit? Doesn't it add to our understanding then what it means to love him? Exodus 21:17, Whoever curses his father and mother shall be put to death. We're still to honour our father and mother, but Jesus took the punishment of death for us. We are not the state. The kingdom that we belong to is not of this world, so we don't go around executing people. Numbers nineteen eleven: whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. This was to do with ritual purity. We will see in a couple of weeks' time that Jesus makes us clean. We have already seen that we can draw near to God because of him. So it's not to do with our own physical purity, so you can work in a mortuary and still be right with God. Deuteronomy 22 verse 8, when you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof that you may not bring the guilt of blood upon your house if anyone should fall from it. Isn't this summed up in love your neighbour, something which Jesus called us to be kind to them in ways that mean they don't, you don't put them in danger? Exodus 23 verse 19, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now Jews interpret this as no cheese with meat, so no cheeseburgers, no uh, mixing of those two things. So whatever it means, if it's anything of that variety, well Jesus declared all foods clean. So we can eat cheeseburgers to our heart's content. Well, almost to our heart's content. And then Deuteronomy 28 verse 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God and be careful to do all his commandments and statues that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. This need not scare us, because Christ has taken the curse of the law. All the curses landed on him as he died on the cross, curses the one who hangs on a tree. He did that so that we could be forgiven. Well, welcome, friends, to the new covenant. Let's give thanks to God for it. Father God, thank you for the new covenant. Thank you that we can enjoy its blessings through Christ and help us to be thankful to you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.